Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 24 through 35. Hear now the word of God. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, this story is a little strange, so I just wanted to preface that uh, if we don't laugh at this sermon, it will just be awkward. Uh, if you don't know Ben and Jerry's ice cream, it's delicious. And if you would like, you can take this sermon as permission to go and buy yourself a pint for research. Grab a handful of spoons, and demolishing that pint is suddenly a church-sanctioned fellowship meal. Everybody wins. One of Ben and Jerry's most popular flavors is Chunky Monkey. It's got 4.6 out of 5 stars, which I didn't even know that rating ice cream was a thing, but it is. If you're wondering, their worst flavor ever was called Sugar Plum. It was a plum caramel ice cream. And during its first three weeks on the shelves, it sold one pint. In my head, what I picture is a well-meaning father grabbing sugar plum ice cream because there's a princess on the front and he's got a daughter at home. And he walks in feeling like a hero, scoops a big old scoop, and too late realizes that a cute name does nothing to cut through the strong, distinct flavor of caramel plums. But the flavor that I want to talk to you about is Chunky Monkey. Uh, it's banana ice cream with fudge chunks and walnuts. This is Ben and Jerry's bio on Chunky Monkey ice cream because they write bios on their flavors. To create a flavor as fun as the name, we monkeyed around with bunches of test batches until we knew we had a winner. The nuttiest, chocolatey, chunkiest concoction gone bananas you'll ever go ape for. <laughs> Clearly they love the puns. They also have a cookie dough named Half Baked and a cherry ice cream named Cherry Garcia. But when they shipped one of their top flavors, Chunky Monkey, to Japan, something weird happened. It failed miserably. Nobody would buy it. So they ran blind tests. Perhaps Japanese people simply don't like the nuttiest, chocolatey, chunkiest concoction gone bananas you'll ever go ape for. But they did. They, they liked the flavor. So they did more research 
And it turns out all that happened was whoever translated Chunky Monkey into Japanese had been a little too literal. They were trying to sell an ice cream that was labeled Chunks of Monkey. <laughs> One little failure of translation, but it made all the difference. Because chunks of monkey in your ice cream is less than appealing. The early church had a remarkably similar problem, and to be honest, it was an uncomfortably similar problem. Let me just tell it like a story. You can, you can picture this. Greg goes out, and he's explaining the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus who died for our sins and was raised from the dead, and people are interested, especially Sally. Sally is fired up about Jesus, so Greg gives Sally a Bible. And he suggests she start with the Gospel of John and tells her he'll check back in tomorrow. And tomorrow he sees Sally and he waves. And Sally ducks and hides behind a crowd and literally runs away. Which isn't what Greg was expecting. So he goes to her house later and knocks and has to catch the door before she slams it in his face. Sally, what's going on? Aren't you still interested in joining the church and following Jesus Christ? And Sally says, sorry, no. You buried the lead, Greg. I was amazed hearing about Jesus and how he died and was raised. I love the stories about how he healed people, but I'm just not interested in becoming a cannibal. I'm sorry, what? I don't know how else to tell you this, Greg. I'm not a cannibal. I don't eat people, and I certainly don't like to drink blood. Right, Sally, that's a good choice. I promise that won't be a problem at my church. We have potlucks, but we eat cornbread and fried chicken. No human flesh. Okay, right, but I read the Gospel of John, and your friend Jesus was always telling people, I am the bread of life. Eat me. And I thought, that's a weird image. But I kept reading, and then I got to that dinner he had with his disciples, and he took bread and said, This is my body broken for you. Eat it. And they ate it, Greg. And then he took a cup and said, this is my blood. And Greg, they drank it. They drank it. I don't know if you remember, Greg, but Jesus does miracles. He turns water into wine. So I'm assuming he turned bread into his body and wine into his blood and they ate it. Greg, I don't know what to tell you. That's called cannibalism. This problem, it actually pops up a lot. Starting really early, when Christianity breaks into a new culture, you'll find people writing about the weird cannibals that believe a Jewish carpenter was executed and raised from the dead. Still today, missionaries deal with this problem. If it was you, if you were Greg, and Sally is explaining to you that she doesn't want to join the church because she's not a cannibal, what do you say? Hypothetically, if that's you, what do you say? This is the point most churches decide they have a translation problem. So when lots of churches do communion, you'll hear them really emphasizing, making clear, this is a symbol. It's a metaphor. We need bread like we need Jesus. Bread keeps us alive and Jesus keeps us alive. But this, what you're going to eat, this is bread, not human flesh. Jesus basically soaks the bread with good spiritual things, but it's bread. Christians, not cannibals. What we have here is a failure to communicate. And the problem to fix then is explaining why Jesus isn't crazy. 
we explain away what's so strange. Not really just strange, it's, uh, it's repulsive. The idea of eating someone's flesh is gross. We realize that when we talk about communion, when we talk about the Lord's Supper, what we're about to do at this table, it sounds like we're talking about ice cream with chunks of monkey. So we explain, no, 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 it's chunky monkey, banana ice cream with nuts and chocolate, delicious, I promise. But here's what's really frustrating about the Gospel of John. As you keep reading, it's like Jesus is walking along behind you with a marker, crossing out your new translation and rewriting chunks of monkey. Jesus, what you're saying is weird. What exactly do you mean that you're the bread of life? I mean, if you don't eat my body, you can't have eternal life. Sorry. I mean, metaphorically, right? Symbolically, right? But on that, Jesus is just silent. He just refuses to say it's only a sign. He refuses to fix the translation. He just repeats, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And the temptation with this is to get twisted up trying to explain why Jesus isn't crazy. The problem is that Jesus is crazy. Crazy is the word we use when someone's actions don't make sense. The way they're acting doesn't line up with reality. It doesn't fit the real world. When you're asking pigeons for hints on the stock market, we say you're crazy because the market on pigeon financial analysts is pretty narrow. If you're mowing your lawn with scissors because lawnmowers are from the devil, we say you're crazy. If you're wearing a tinfoil hat because aliens are reading your mind, it's increasingly common, but still crazy. <laughs> Jesus acts crazy. The way he behaves doesn't line up with reality. He sacrifices his life to take care of other people, and he says if you lose your life for him, you'll gain your life. That doesn't make sense. He rubs mud on blind people's eyes and tells them to see. He says, here, this is my body. If you eat it, you'll never be hungry. And this cup, it's filled with my blood. Drink from it and you'll never thirst. That is crazy. That doesn't fit with reality. It doesn't. There is nothing, there is nothing you can eat that will always satisfy you. There's nothing you can drink that will clean your soul. And why doesn't he just call it heaven food and Jesus juice? Why did he choose to say, this is my body, eat and be filled, this is my blood, drink and be saved? Why not just call it Jesus juice? It would be a lot easier for us. Because the point of communion isn't that it makes sense. What happens at this table doesn't follow the rules of nature. It doesn't follow the rules of logic. And honestly, we don't want it to. If you come to this table and this is just bread, then you wasted your time coming to church today. You should have stayed home and had toast. And if this is just a symbol of how much Jesus loves us, if this is just a reminder, you should have stayed home. Because you could remember that in your bed. But this table doesn't follow the rules of nature because there is more than nature working here. The Spirit of God is working here. For some reason, God decided that he would do something special with the bread and the cup. 
When we gather together as a community, when we break the bread and we lift high the cup and remember Jesus' words, this is my body, eat and be filled, this is my blood, drink and be saved. When we do that, God decides that he will do something special. And if we, if we fix the translation, we create a box for God to work in. At the table, we might be inspired. We might feel grateful. Those are normal things. It might taste good. That's what happens when you eat bread. But bread can't save you. And juice cannot forgive your sins. And even if you eat an entire loaf of bread, you'll still end up hungry. But if you eat this bread, you will never hunger. Because this isn't just bread, it's the body of Jesus Christ, it's the bread of life. We don't have to understand what it means. When the crowd goes to find Jesus, he tells them, listen, you didn't come here today because you understood what I'm doing. You came because I gave you bread and you were hungry. But if you look past the bread, you'll see that I am the bread of life. And if you eat me, you will never go hungry. So before you come to the table... Stop and ask yourself, do you want the bread or do you want the bread of life? Do you want a snack or do you want the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ? On the one hand, you have to be crazy to walk up to the table and eat something that has been declared to be somebody's body and blood. But on the other hand, have you found anything else in life, anything anywhere that can save your soul? Have you found any other meal that can feed your spirit, that can give you peace in the middle of your worst day or hope in the darkest night? Have you found any other meal that can do that? Only God can do that. And he says, if you want it, you've got to eat the chunks of monkey. I'm not going to explain it any more than that. You'll just have to trust me. Sure, sure, it's crazy to eat chunks of monkey. But wouldn't we be crazy not to? So as you come to this table, as you're praying about it, think back to Sally's concern. Greg, I don't know what to tell you. That's called cannibalism. The closest we can get to an answer is, you know, Sally... I don't really know what to tell you. It looks like bread, but it lifts my soul. It tastes like juice, but it takes away my sins. It's just a bite and a sip, but sometimes when I hear, I feel the saints who've died eating with me. So I sure hope Jesus isn't pulling a fast one on me. I sure hope he's not giggling at how twisted up we are, that it's chunky monkey and not monkey chunks. But this is Jesus' table, and it plays by his rules. He calls it his body and blood, so I guess you might as well call me a selective cannibal, a Jesusitarian. Because whatever this bread and juice is, whatever it is, I can tell you it's the bread of life. It's the cup of salvation. So in the end, I just give thanks to God that it tastes how it looks. It is the bread of life.
and it is the cup of salvation. Let us pray. Lord God, your table is a mystery to us. We don't understand all of what it is. We don't understand what happens. But we know that you are waiting here for us. So we prepare our hearts. And as we come forward, we know that you will fill us. That you will meet us here in a way that we don't understand, in a way that we don't even know how it's possible, but Lord, it is. This is the bread of life and the cup of salvation. So all we do is we give you thanks. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.